0: Welcome to the Spot On Podcast, brought to you by MScan, the Melanoma Skin Cancer Advocacy Network. The show gives you a baseline understanding and knowledge about skin cancer to help navigate that journey ahead through diagnosis and treatment. Today, we're delving into another unique and somewhat under recognized lymphoma involving the skin, cutaneous lymphoma, or CL for short. We've put together an exceptional panel of experts who will enlighten us with their deep understanding and insights into this condition. Today, we have a haematologist, Dr. Kerry van der a dermatologist, Chris McCormick, a radiation oncologist, Belinda Campbell, and a nurse practitioner, Odette Builens. These discussions will range from the basics of understanding of what cutaneous lymphoma is, its signs and symptoms, how it differs from other skin cancers, to how it can progress if not discovered early. Carrie will shed light on the nature of CL and how a CL cancer cell is different from other types of cancer cells. She'll also provide clarity on the different stages of cancer and how treatment goals change depending on the stage. Chris McCormick will help us understand the prevalence of cutaneous lymphoma in Australia and globally, and how it presents on the skin and how it's diagnosed. He'll also discuss treatment options for early stage CL. Belinda will give us insights into the role of radiation therapy in treating CL and how it's administered and potential side effects. And then lastly, Odette will share insights on the critical supportive care needs for people diagnosed with cutaneous lymphoma, the importance of mental health support and practical advice on handling the diagnosis. Now, to start things off and get that baseline understanding of what cutaneous lymphoma is, I speak to Dr. Kerry Vanderweiden, consultant haematologist and researcher at Peter MacCallum Cancer Centre and Royal Melbourne Hospital.
1: My name's Kerry Vanderweiden. I'm a consultant haematologist. I'm based at the Peter MacCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne, and I have the very good fortune to work in their multidisciplinary skin lymphoma clinic, which treats patients from all over Australia with this rare group of disorders.
0: So what is cutaneous lymphoma? That's probably the most important, but actually the most difficult question to answer, because cutaneous lymphoma is a descriptive term for a number of different malignancies that sit under a banner heading.
1: In very simple terms, when we're talking about cutaneous lymphoma, we're referring to a number of different disorders that are characterized by an abnormal growth of a type of immune cell called a lymphocyte that's occurring predominantly in the skin. So lymphocytes are cells that we all have in our body that have an important patrolling and immune checkpoint role in all of us. And in skin lymphoma, they tend to behave badly and behave aberrantly, and they can form clusters or nodules or tumors within the skin, depending on the subtype of cutaneous lymphoma that we're talking about. There are lots of different diagnostic subheadings that sit underneath that, but in general terms, that sort of gets to the heart of what skin lymphoma is, and then there's heaps of nuance that we all wave our hands about in clinic.
0: So there are different diagnostic terms for cutaneous lymphoma. So from a patient's perspective, it might get confusing. It might come to a clinician with a diagnosis, but then they start talking about diagnost- the diagnostic subtypes that sit under the banner heading of cutaneous lymphoma.
1: And you can see that look of consternation across their face because they're like, hang on, I thought I had skin lymphoma. So the sorts of things that we see in the clinic, I mean, there are multiple diagnoses that we can see, but the most common things that we see can be a group of conditions called mycosis, fungoides, or cesareous syndrome. And then the other thing we see lots of is a type of skin-based lymphoma called cutaneous marginal zone lymphoma. The sorts of diagnoses that we see much less commonly, probably not worth mentioning here, but just to take home that message that there really are multiple different types that all sit under that overarching umbrella term and that they all have very slightly different manifestations, very slightly different clinical behaviours. So it's really important that we get the diagnosis right so that we can talk to our patients in a very clear and sensible way about how we expect it to behave and what the treatment options are. So what actually causes a cutaneous lymphoma? So I wish I knew the answer to this. We don't know for sure what causes cutaneous lymphoma, There are some things that we can identify that increase the risk of developing skin lymphoma, but in terms of causation, that that gets actually quite muddy. At the moment, we're pretty confident that it's something that occurs often de novo, meaning it occurs without an obvious inciting factor or causative factor. There's no real clear genetic link, which is what some of our other patients will ask us. There seems to be a correlation between some kind of immune deficiency causes or patients who have some kind of other conditions which may be associated with the immune system being dysregulated or functioning abnormally but again the link in terms of causation is actually hard to elucidate. I guess for my patients the feedback is often oh it's at once both really reassuring that there's no obvious cause so not something that people have done or failed to do but also a little bit challenging compared to things like lung cancer or other types of skin cancers Mm. where we can point to sun exposure there's not a modifiable risk factor that we can address going forward.
0: So what does cutaneous lymphoma look like, or what are the signs and symptoms? It's actually infinitely variable in how it presents.
1: The common factor that we see in all of our patients, of course, given that it is a lymphoma that's based in the skin, is some kind of skin abnormality. And the most common thing that we tend to see is something that may actually just look like an itchy, persistent rash. For our patients with mycosis fungoides, sometimes it's a small skin-coloured or pink nodule that just sticks around and doesn't get better with conservative management. There's a very small group of patients where they can have thicker nodules that can grow and progress over time and sometimes can ulcerate and look like tumours. And then there's another group of patients, so the group of patients with cesarean syndrome, where rather than having discrete skin lesions, they can actually have a widespread redness or thickness to their skin with skin flaking usually some kind of skin abnormality usually nodules or some kind of rash not uncommon for some of our patients particularly with mycosis fungoides to say look I've had this rash for years and years and years we thought it was eczema and it's only on repeated biopsy that we're actually able to establish the diagnosis the other thing that lot of our patients complain of is itch so that's one of the most common symptoms that our patients would present with and that can be actually quite debilitating in the more advanced cutaneous lymphoma subtypes sometimes people will be not aware that they have early stage cutaneous lymphoma because like i said it just looks like an eczema type rash and that group of patients may often not need very much treatment whatsoever so again the important thing is that there's a whole spectrum of how it can present and the signs and symptoms that people may have through to being minimally symptomatic to having a very high symptom burden.
0: So it's important to understand there are different types of cutaneous lymphoma.
1: And this is actually one of the most interesting things for me because it means I get to look after a whole raft of different diagnoses, but also important for our patients in the clinic in that there are multiple different subtypes, some arising from a group of lymphocytes called. B lymphocytes, so the marginal zone lymphoma that we talked about earlier is probably the most common type that we see sitting under that banner. And then groups of conditions that arise from another type of immune effector cell called a T lymphocyte. And then even within that subcategorization, there are multiple different subtypes that sit under there. The other thing that's important for our patients to realize is that it's not one subtype that all behaves the same. So again, we have some patients who come to our clinic having looked up what lymphoma is on the internet and being absolutely terrified because Mm. they look at systemic lymphoma as opposed to skin-based lymphomas, thinking that their treatment trajectory will be requiring chemotherapy and may be marked by inexorable progression and a limited lifespan. And for the majority of our patients, that actually isn't the case. So really important that we get the diagnosis right to give you the best reflection of what the patient's experience is going to be.
0: So if you're like me, you might be sitting there thinking, well, if we don't know where cutaneous lymphoma comes from, is it something you inherit? Do you get it from your family?
1: This is actually a really interesting question. So again, it's a hard question to answer because sometimes our understanding of these conditions really evolve over time. And there may be 20, 30 years down the track that we're able to say, oh no, there is a very clear heritable link with cutaneous lymphoma. There is a, one particular very uncommon subtype of skin-based lymphoma that has a genetic link to it that we've actually identified with some work based out of Peter Mac and France. But for the most part, most of our skin lymphomas are not associated with a genetic predisposition. So important for our patients who have children, for example, it's not something that they're likely to pass on to their kids.
0: So how is a cutaneous lymphoma cancer cell different? to other types of cancer cells?
1: Often this is something that my patients struggle with in terms of getting their head around what actually cutaneous lymphoma is. So the sorts of conversations that I have are often around the terminology that we use where we talk about lymphoma as being a a cancer that arises from a cell that's part of the blood, so lymphocyte, or part of the immune system. And then the next question that people get is, well, hang on, isn't it in the skin? Isn't it arising from a skin cell? Shouldn't that make it a skin cancer? And the tricky thing that we have to then reflect or explain to our patients is that the way that the body's immune system works is that the lymphocytes can be resident anywhere in the body. They actually are probably the most mobile component of our immune system, and they can be anywhere from bone marrow through to organs in the body through to the skin. The way that we tend to think about it is that The lymphocytes in skin lymphoma are a group of immune cells or immune-patrolling cells whose normal role is to be resident in the skin, to perform an immune-patrolling function in the skin itself, and then they start to behave badly. So if you imagine that they start to not perform their normal functions correctly. They can overgrow and not respond to the normal signals that tell them to stop growing, form clusters, form bands along the skin surface. They still retain enough of their lineage behaviours that they will still hang out in the skin, but start to behave in a slightly abnormal fashion. So it's actually an abnormal cancer cell arising from an immune cell or a blood-derived cell that hangs out in the skin. So it's actually a bit of a tricky concept to get your head around. So then the next component that we talk about is how is that different to other skin cancer? And the explanation there is that it is, as we said, that immune effector cell that normally hangs out in the skin, but isn't actually a skin cell. So different to, for example, a melanoma, which arises from a cell that lives in the skin and whose function is in the skin, different to things like squamous cell carcinomas and basal cell carcinomas that also arise from skin-specific cells. And that really links to how we can see some of the cutaneous lymphomas behave long-term, is that as they progress and as some subtypes become more aggressive in their behaviour, they have the capacity to move outside of the skin, replicating what we would normally see in the function of those immune cells called lymphocytes.
0: If it's not discovered early, how does it grow and how can it spread to other parts of the body?
1: It really depends on the type of cutaneous lymphoma that patient has. So there are some subtypes that will actually not spread significantly and will remain limited to the skin. The patient may develop more spots or more skin involvement over time. For example, in some patients with very early stage mycosis fungoides, it's not uncommon for our patients to come in with a limited rash that may cover only, say, the buttocks or part of the thigh or part of the torso that's been present relatively static for many, many years, in some cases up to 20, 25 years There are other subtypes of skin lymphoma that have a more aggressive behaviour and the way that they spread can be along through skin. So we may have patients who come in with much more widespread skin involvement. We may see that they develop skin thickening or the development of skin tumours. And in very uncommon situations, we may see that the patients will have involvement of lymph nodes or other organs in the body. The important thing for our patients to understand is that the likelihood of that happening with majority of skin lymphoma subtypes is actually very uncommon. So it's very different to other types of lymphoma that most commonly will spread to lymph nodes and to bone marrow or to other organs at the very advanced end.
0: If you've been diagnosed with cutaneous lymphoma, the risk of progression depends on the subtype that you have a lot of patients will have lymphoma that can be managed and not progress into something more. Although sometimes it can be challenging to get your head around the fact that this is something that you'll live with long-term.
1: We think about a lot more with our patients now is thinking about it like a chronic disease. So something that you will be living with and we hope that you will be living with for a normal lifespan, but something that will require ongoing review and upkeep and maybe some treatment along the way. Again, it depends on the subtype of cutaneous lymphoma that you have as to whether it's likely to progress.
0: Much like other cancers, cutaneous lymphoma can be described in different stages.
1: So the other thing that's also really interesting in the clinic is there's been enough sort of medical literature that's in general parlance, a lot of sort of media focus on things like breast cancer or melanoma or bowel cancer that people have an understanding of stage one being something that's potentially able to be removed with surgery and is associated with a cure as opposed to stage four being very advanced widespread cancer that's not able to be cured but can be treated. And in some ways, those stages are relevant to how we think about skin lymphoma. But the important thing or the important take-home message that we then need to emphasize is that it doesn't carry the same prognostic importance that it would for melanoma or even something like squamous cell carcinoma. So for example, we can have patients that by definition So, for example, our patients with Caesary Syndrome have stage 4 disease at the time when they present to us, but doesn't necessarily carry that same importance in terms of how we expect that to impact on their lifespan. In very general terms, the way that we think about involvement in skin lymphoma is, is it just in the skin? So, for example, is it limited only just in skin in one or more spots? Does it involve other organs? Does it involve lymph nodes and does it involve the blood or bone marrow with that sort of progression through skin, lymph nodes, other organs and blood or bone marrow going from stage one to stage four. And then there are, as always with cutaneous lymphoma, caveats that sit around how we think about that playing out in the clinic in terms of treatment options and the way that's likely to behave long term.
0: If you've had cutaneous lymphoma, potentially you're likely to get other skin cancers or melanomas elsewhere on your body.
1: And the reason for that is a little bit of a tricky one, and it looks at two things. One is that some of the treatments that we use for skin lymphoma may include things like UV therapy or UVB therapy. That can increase the risk of patients developing skin cancers like squamous cell carcinomas or basal cell carcinomas long-term, if that's a treatment option that is durable and used for many years. The other thing that's important, particularly in an Australian context, is that most of us have had some cumulative degree of sun exposure over our lives that's just not able to be changed or remedied. It's unfortunately the benefit of living in Australia and New Zealand that we get a lot of sun. A lot of the treatments that we use for cutaneous lymphoma may be immune modulatory in some effect. So that can potentially increase the risk of other skin cancers developing longer term. The risk of that is relatively small in numerical terms for our patients, but it is something that we're relatively vigilant about. The sort of take-home message I use in the clinic is that the risk of you developing something like a squamous cell carcinoma or a basal cell carcinoma is slightly higher than the general population because of the treatments that we might be exploring, but not markedly so. And so we build in regular skin cancer screening as part of our clinic reviews. Melanoma doesn't seem to have that same signal of increased risk in our group of patients, which I guess is fortunate.
0: Now let's explore some of the treatment options that are available for advanced cutaneous lymphoma.
1: I'm going to talk predominantly around the most common things that we see in clinic which is mycosis fungoides, so skin-based lymphoma that tends to have relatively widespread skin involvement with or without nodal involvement and a condition called cesarean syndrome which we see a lot of in our multidisciplinary clinic even though it's relatively rare in numerical terms across the Australian population. So both of those groups of patients need some kind of systemic therapy as opposed to topical therapies like steroids that can be applied to the skin or emollients. Some of our patients will come to us having had skin-directed therapy, so UVB being the prime example of that, and have had progression despite that. And so then we think about, well, we need to select a treatment that's going to hit the skin lymphoma everywhere that it is and try and minimize the risk of progression control the amount of skin involvement, and minimize the symptoms, which is actually a really important consideration for our patients in clinic. The other thing that we focus on is disease control rather than cure. And that's a really important thing for our patients to understand that this is something that they'll be living with. And so we try to pick treatments that are going to be tolerable for our patients long-term, but also pick things that we know are efficacious. And the really interesting thing about skin lymphomas, and particularly the T-cell skin lymphomas, is that they don't tend to respond very well to chemotherapy, which is a little bit of a blessing for our patients in that they're not being exposed to the sort of side effect profile that you'd expect Mm -hmm. with other types of systemic lymphomas. A lot of the treatments that we use are immune modulatory, so not immune suppressive per se, but aiming to really try and switch the behaviour of that group of immune cells, i.e. the lymphoma cells that are starting to behave badly, swap it back to a, more of a normal immune behavioural pattern. So the sorts of standard things that we would use would be treatments like interferon, so a synthetic form of a protein that our body makes in response to infections like the flu. We sometimes will use treatments like extracorporeal photophoresis, which is like a blood-based immune modulatory therapy. And then there are a whole set of other novel therapies that sit under that group of treatments that we use for our patients in second and third line if they either don't tolerate first line treatment or have progression despite that. The other component of any treatment that we give is not just disease modification, but also looking at both controlling people's symptoms, so particularly relevant for our patients who have very advanced skin lymphoma, where they may have really quite significant symptom burden of skin pain of itch, which can be quite debilitating and impact significantly on people's quality of life. But also that sort of cosmetic concern that patients will describe where they feel embarrassed to go out In public with large rashy areas on their skin. And then there are other non-chemotherapy, either immunomodulatory or novel treatments that sit in that group of treatments that we use for patients who failed first-line therapy, either due to intolerance or due to progression. So the other two components that are actually really important are both symptom control and we're very proactive in getting our palliative care teams involved relatively early not because this is something that is a terminal diagnosis but because they're very good at managing the sort of symptoms that our patients have with advanced cutaneous lymphoma so itch and skin pain are very common and can be quite debilitating so there's a whole group of treatments that we use to help modify that symptom burden for our patients and then there are skin directed treatments which hopefully my colleague will talk about in a lot more detail.
0: Continuing this discussion on CL, I speak with Associate Professor Chris McCormick with over 25 years of dermatology experience. He's an expert in cutaneous lymphoma and skin cancer, including melanoma and non-melanoma types. Has had extensive research contributions in these fields and has developed the cutaneous lymphoma service into a globally recognized unit. In this discussion, we explore how cutaneous lymphoma is diagnosed and what the treatment options are, plus a lot more too.
2: Well, I'm a dermatologist. I specialize mainly in cancer-related issues affecting the skin, both primary skin cancer, the side effects of cancer treatments for systemic cancers, and one subspecialty that I'm particularly interested in is primary skin lymphoma. That's where a lymphoma cell appears to originate mainly in the skin. I've been practising dermatology since the early 1990s, and I took over the Skin Lymphoma Clinic at St Vincent's in 1997. At that point, I asked a haematologist, Professor Miles Prince, to join, and basically the unit's grown since then, and we've developed with our other members of our team, some of, them, of whom you'll meet in this podcast run a very well-oiled machine. We deal with a lot of patients with skin lymphoma from all over the country, some internationally. Cutaneous lymphoma, or primary cutaneous lymphoma, is a rare condition. It probably only makes up a few percent of all the lymphomas. And so the incidence is probably, if you include all the different subtypes, maybe between 10 to 15 per million per year, maybe a bit higher. Certainly, mycosis fungoides, which is the most common of the subtypes of skin lymphoma, the incidence is probably around six to eight per million per year. We have a lot of patients in clinic with mycosis fungoides because the vast majority of them live with their disease and it doesn't actually result in very serious illness. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's rare, I think, makes it important that the people or persons who are assessing the issue have got experience in this condition, it's really important to get the correct diagnosis. We spend a lot of time getting the correct diagnosis, working out extent, then working out an individualized management plan. A lot of things can look very much the same if you just look under the microscope. And if you make an error in diagnosis, you could under or over treat someone. So going to what skin lymphoma looks like, it can look like multiple things. That's the, it can mimic nearly anything on the skin. The most common type of cutaneous lymphoma, mycosis fungoides, often just starts as a scaly patch. It may be a bit red, it's often a bit itchy. And it may often, the common sites are particularly on the buttocks or on the breasts in women, but it can be on any site. And it often gets misdiagnosed as just an eczema or a psoriasis. It may stay like that for many years. In fact, people with early stage disease, say disease less than 10% of their total body surface area, of them won't progress. It will just stay with them like that during their life. And it acts more like a rash than anything serious. But, of course, it is a lymphoma, but it doesn't behave like a lot of other cancers in a lot of cases. It it behaves much more indolently, which is reassuring. Mm. Certainly, there are cases which are more aggressive, and that's why it's important that we see and assess those patients and and come in with appropriate treatments as needed. So the mycosis fungoides can be patches or plaques. That's where you get a thicker area on the skin. Or it can be lumps in the skin, which are called tumours or nodules. Or sometimes people can be just red totally over the body, and that's called erythroderma. And that merges with a condition in the same area called Cesare Syndrome, which is also very rare.
0: So cutaneous lymphoma can take different forms and might be mistaken for something like a rash on your skin. So the way it's diagnosed is a combination of getting all the information together, having a clinical assessment, and then confirming it, usually with a biopsy or maybe several biopsies.
2: Then that's looked up at under the microscope and often you'll see the typical signs. It can be very difficult even for the pathologist to make a firm diagnosis. There are other tests we do to help with the diagnosis, but the vast majority are putting together a combination of the clinical and histological findings of a biopsy.
0: The biopsy that's taken—it's not a large piece of skin. It's typically done via what's called a punch
2: biopsy. So it may be a three or four millimetre, like an apple corer, and often what I do is say three biopsies to help improve the chance of getting a relevant result. Usually one small stitch is put in to help the healing. Mm -hmm. Even taking several biopsies, sometimes it takes several attempts to make the diagnosis even though you're suspicious. Sometimes it's easy for the pathologist. So often we're clinically suspicious but can't prove Mm. it. But that's okay. We just sit and watch and wait, and we're not losing any opportunity in the vast majority of these cases. So the thing we worry about as clinicians is, if we delay diagnosis, will the delay result in some sort of missed opportunity or catastrophic outcome? Mm. In the vast majority of cases where diagnosis is difficult, in say mycosis fungoides, a delaying diagnosis doesn't result in a loss of opportunity to treat the condition optimally.
0: So once the test is at the pathologist, they're looking for a few things, but particularly for abnormal
2: lymphocytes. So cutaneous lymphoma means abnormal or malignant lymphocytes and they can be T cell or B cell and there's some other subsets as well but they're the main ones.
0: So what's next after getting the pathology result?
2: Whenever you get a histological report you've got to then correlate it with the clinical findings. For example I may get a report back that says this patient has mycosis fungoides but then I go back to the patient and the history is they get recurrent crops of pimple or acne-like lesions that come and go over six to eight weeks, that actually may be a different condition called inflammatory papillosis. And it can look exactly the same under the microscope. Mm. But if you don't correlate the clinical history with histological findings, you can make an error in your diagnosis, which will then lead to an error in your management strategy.
0: So when you receive your histology report, it's important that you review it alongside your treating clinician, because often they can be very hard to interpret. So, once we've got the diagnosis, we move on to treatment options for cutaneous lymphoma.
2: I think the first thing is just say we've made the diagnosis. And then the first thing is to then assess what's the tempo of the disease? Is it very indolent? Is it moving aggressively? What's the extent? How much is it bothering the patient? Just because you've got a rash doesn't mean you have to treat it. Often patients want treatment because they can see it and it's a reminder that it shouldn't be there. I don't think I'd want a rash covering all my body, even if it wasn't bothering me. The fact that it's a lymphoma of the skin would make me even more determined to potentially treat it. Having said that, patients with early stage disease, the vast majority don't progress. Whether you treat or not, don't treat. So you could actually argue not to treat. And a lot of our patients are very happy just monitoring. And you monitor to see if the disease is getting more extensive, sicker in areas, or more symptomatic. And then you can treat according to those elements treating often we'll just start with a simple cream or ointment a topical cortisone preparation and that will treat a lot of patients quite well there are other topical treatments some are a bit difficult to get in australia but the vast majority of the things we use are basically steroid based there are other rare treatments which are a bit expensive basically based on nitrogen mustard type treatment it's an old-fashioned treatment but it can be quite effective in localized disease hmm. then we consider other skin directed therapies like ultraviolet life therapy the commonest one we use these days is narrowband UVB therapy, which can be quite effective for extensive patches of disease. Once disease gets over a certain body surface area, putting ointments or creams all over you is quite onerous. Mm. But you can combine the light therapy with doing the topical treatment as well. Mm. So narrowband UVB is the one that we commonly use. In the past, we used to use a treatment called PUVA, and that's where we combine an oral photosynthesizing agent called Sorolin, which is a plant extract, with UVA light. That's less available now, but it can be effective in this condition. We have actually modified that treatment where we take the patient's blood out, wash it with that photoactivating agent, sorolin, and then infuse elements of the blood back into the patient. That's called photophoresis, and that's used for a more extensive disease where they've got a circulating malignant blood clone. I think the ointment light therapy are the most common for very early stage disease. Mm -hmm. But if they've got quite early staged localized disease that's stable, we also consider radiotherapy very effective in helping resolve localized areas of disease. Mm.
0: As we said earlier in this episode, cutaneous lymphoma is not something you inherit from your family. And it's not really something that you pass down to your children
2: either through genetics. It's not catchy. You can't give it to Mm. someone. That's another question people ask. And the main thing we often have to do when patients first come to us is we assess them, their extent of the disease, the diagnosis, and then give them a realistic prognosis. Because often they've Googled it. Mm -hmm. And when you Google lymphoma, you get all sorts of websites and images, especially with mycosis fungoides, that show quite advanced disease. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of patients don't progress to that. What I recommend is that patients who are newly diagnosed, it's very reasonable to be assessed in a multidisciplinary unit. And if the patient wishes, then their care could be either returned back to their treating doctor or co-managed with the multidisciplinary team. Say in our specialized unit, we have hematologists, dermatologists, pathologists, nurse practitioners, radiotherapy oncologists, and we all contribute to patient's management. And because it's our special interest across the literature and treatments and have access to trials more readily. But the diagnosis can be made and most patients can be started on treatment. And if it's more appropriate, that their care can be managed by their original referring doctor and then referred back in as required. But we do manage a lot of people they end up staying with us. But I think with rare diseases, I think it's very reasonable to seek the advice of a multidisciplinary team who has special expertise in that field.
0: Next up in this discussion about cutaneous lymphoma, I speak with Associate Professor Belinda Campbell. She's Deputy Director of Radiation Oncology at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre and Honorary Clinical Associate Professor at the University of Melbourne.
3: My name's Associate Professor Belinda Campbell. I work at Peter McCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne and I work on the radiation oncology team, specifically in the skin lymphoma service at Peter Mac.
0: So radiation therapy can be a highly effective and commonly used treatment for skin lymphomas.
3: Skin lymphomas tend to be highly sensitive to radiotherapy, which means we can get away with lower doses of radiotherapy compared to other cancers that occur in the skin which is really handy because it means that for my patients with skin lymphomas, radiotherapy can achieve high response rates with lower risks of side effects.
0: Radiotherapy is not a newfangled treatment either, and it's been used for skin lymphomas for several decades.
3: So it is definitely a tried and tested treatment with proven efficacy, and we have a good understanding of the role of radiotherapy for patients with skin lymphomas. I think you've already heard from my colleagues previously that there are a wide range of skin lymphomas and for each there is often a wide range of treatments. However, radiotherapy is a commonly used therapy for almost all of them.
0: There are different types of radiotherapy. Two main types in fact that are used to treat lymphomas in the skin. The first type is the most common and is called localised radiotherapy, which is delivered to troublesome sites of lymphoma in the skin.
3: And sometimes we nickname this spot welding. So the most common scenario might be that the patient has multiple sites of lymphoma in their skin. And we might use radiotherapy to spot weld the bothersome sites. So for example, the sites that are causing itch or pain or areas that are just not responding to other types of treatment, as well as we would have hoped. We use shallow radiotherapy beams to target these troublesome spots on the skin. Less commonly, it may be that the patient has only one site of skin lymphoma. Let's say a single spot of low grade B cell lymphoma. And we can use a localized field of radiotherapy to just that spot, give it a few weeks of very simple treatment with the intention to cure that skin lymphoma forever. But the second type of radiotherapy, well, that's much more complex. And this involves treating the whole skin of the patient. And this is called total skin electron therapy. The radiotherapy beam is shallow and the goal is to treat all of the skin within one standalone course of treatment. But it's a tricky treatment because our bodies have lots of lumps and bumps. And my job as the radiation oncologist is to get the radiotherapy beams around these contours to give a dose of radiotherapy that is as even as possible across the skin. And the most common scenario for total skin electron therapy is for patients with lots of skin disease from mycosis fungoides. And as you may know, mycosis fungoides, or MF, is the most common skin lymphoma. And traditionally, total skin electrons has been used in higher doses to get more durable disease control. But now that there are lots of other treatment options available, we tend to favour a lower dose of TSE or total skin electrons nowadays. We accept that the disease might come back sooner, but there are other treatment options available or perhaps a repeat course of total skin electrons might be beneficial down the track. But the main advantage of lower dose total skin electrons is that there are much fewer side effects and the treatment is generally very well tolerated. The biggest advantage of total skin electrons though, is that it's a standalone treatment. And this means no ongoing maintenance therapies. And when I use total skin electrons to help a patient with mycosis fungoides or MF, the biggest thing my patients are excited by is this possibility of a treatment holiday that follows total skin electrons. Most patients with MF get pretty tired of back-to-back medical treatments. So this standalone therapy is really very exciting as it often gives them a good chunk of time away from treatment and away from medical appointments and away from side effects. So far, I've got a patient who had total skin electrons very early in her course of journey with mycosis fungoides and it's now been over seven years and she hasn't required any further treatment. Just the odd bit of steroid cream occasionally, but that's it. So for her, Total Skin Electrons has been absolutely amazing and transformative for her life. Of course, not everyone will have that particularly brilliant outcome, but I think it is reassuring for patients to know that these success stories do exist, and there is definitely hope.
0: Like any medical treatment, there are potential side effects. The most common side effect to radiotherapy is a skin reaction that looks a bit like sunburn.
3: And living in Australia, I think most of us are pretty familiar with what sunburn can look like and feel like. This skin reaction only occurs, though, where we are pointing the beam. And because we're actually treating the sites of lymphoma in the skin, it can sometimes be a bit tricky to tell the skin reaction apart from the underlying skin lymphoma. Characteristically, the skin reaction peaks about two weeks after finishing radiotherapy, and then it fades pretty quickly after that. And I usually just recommend a simple skin moisturiser as helpful for the skin reaction. However, this sunburn-like skin reaction usually isn't too bad because like I explained before, we are tending to use lower doses of radiotherapy these days. And overall, radiotherapy for skin lymphomas is extremely well tolerated. To be honest, I reckon the worst side effect of radiotherapy is most likely to be the traffic on the drive-in.
0: In terms of availability, localised radiotherapy for skin lymphoma is pretty much available at every radiotherapy centre across Australia. It is
3: a rare disease, though, or a collection of rare diseases. So I totally understand that a lot of doctors won't have seen many patients with skin lymphomas. But I'm always happy to give advice on radiotherapy for skin lymphomas, or if it's preferred, then I can always see patients in my clinic for a second assessment. That's absolutely fine. Telehealth has made things much easier for patients who live further away. But like I said earlier, TSE or total skin electrons, on the other hand, is a far more tricky technique. And not every radiotherapy centre has the expertise or the equipment to deliver total skin electrons. In fact, presently, total skin electrons is only available in two radiotherapy centres in Australia, Peter Mac in Melbourne and Prince of Wales Hospital in Sydney. But both centres accept referrals from anywhere in Australia. So even if you don't live in Melbourne or Sydney, Total Skin Electron Therapy can still be available to you. Personally, I don't want geography to limit the treatment options available to anyone. If where someone lives is going to affect what treatment they can receive, then that is just rubbish. So my biggest plea to patients and healthcare providers is please don't let your postcode dictate your treatment. Social workers and accommodation and transport specialists are available to help you to access medical care should you need them.
0: When it comes to managing skin lymphoma, it's a team effort. It involves specialty care from experts in dermatology, haematology, nursing, pathology and of course radiation oncology.
3: Often it requires input from others too, like members from the social work, general practice, infectious diseases or symptom control teams. In my opinion, top quality care for skin lymphoma is truly a team effort and I do encourage patients to speak to their healthcare providers to ask the question, what are the other treatments out there? I'm super lucky to work with a truly phenomenal multidisciplinary team at Peter Mac with members from all those groups that I just mentioned before. And we are very happy to assist our healthcare colleagues in the community and to help their skin lymphoma patients to get access to the full range of treatment options that may be available to them. So please, don't hesitate to reach out. We are genuinely here to help.
0: Lastly, to round out this discussion on CL, I speak with Odette Bulens, who's an endorsed nurse practitioner since 2012, who specialises in skin lymphoma and runs a dedicated clinic as part of a multidisciplinary team. With advanced nursing qualifications and a clinical research fellowship, she's deeply involved in patient care for those with cutaneous lymphoma in both inpatient and ambulatory settings. In this conversation with Odette, we cover the supportive care needs of someone affected by a diagnosis of CL. Hi, my
4: name's Odette Bulens. I'm the Skin Lymphoma Nurse Practitioner at Peter MacCallum Cancer Centre in Melbourne. And I specialise in the care of patients with cutaneous lymphoma. So
0: what are some of the main supportive care needs for people who are affected by a diagnosis of cutaneous lymphoma?
4: For patients with a diagnosis of cutaneous lymphoma, both T-cell and B-cell, particularly T-cell cutaneous lymphoma, skincare is a big part of their life for the rest of their life, and actually it's probably been a big part of their life even prior to their diagnosis of cutaneous lymphoma, it's about helping people recognise how best to manage things themselves at home to optimise on their self-care and their quality of life. So people utilise a lot of topical steroids and moisturisers as well as perhaps skin infective bulking regimes to try and reduce the chance of infection which can sometimes aggravate their skin and lead to them perhaps needing to have antibiotics or needing to be hospitalized the other thing that's really important with supportive care for patients with cutaneous lymphoma is that skin pain and skin itch can be big problems for some people affected by cutaneous lymphoma There are teams around who can help in relation to helping patients manage this as best they can at home. And sometimes people need to be admitted to hospital if what they're doing at home is not working. We utilise topical steroids and moisturisers and skin cooling agents that can be put on the skin to help with itch. And sometimes people might need to take pain relief help with their skin pain and their itch. If people are finding that beyond all those things, they're still struggling with a lot of things that might be impacting on their quality of life and impacting on their ability to work or sleep or do everyday activities, then we utilize teams like pain and palliative care teams, infectious diseases teams, psychology and psychiatry teams, and these are all great teams that can really assist in helping patients manage as best they can with their supportive care at home. Psychological inputs for patients are really important as well because for some people, they may not have itch or they may not have skin pain, but they may actually be really affected by how this condition looks because it's obviously on your skin and the patient's see what's happening on their skin day in and day out, or their family or their carers do. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a trigger for the patient and their carers and us when things are getting better or worse. And really earlier intervention is better than later where possible.
0: And this ties back directly to the work that Odette and the team are doing at
4: the CTCL clinic at Peter Mac. The Cutaneous Lymphoma Clinic is a clinic for patients with both T-cell lymphoma or B-cell lymphoma or a potential diagnosis of those things. So how we best support patients is we see patients as new referral patients who may already have a diagnosis of either cutaneous T-cell lymphoma or cutaneous B-cell lymphoma, or they may be a patient who doesn't yet have a diagnosis, but we're suspicious of it. Because this is quite a unique condition in that we need clinical correlation. So by that, we mean we need to pair up what's going on clinically for the patient. So by what we see and what we can physically see with the patient and for the patient, as well as what the pathologist can see down a microscope. So those two things get put together to help come to a diagnosis for patients. So we sometimes do actually see patients who have a potential diagnosis and by that I mean people are perhaps suspicious that this could be a cutaneous lymphoma and they need some assistance from our team to try and either rule out or rule it in for people. And sometimes it's quite complex in that we actually still can't do that for patients but we follow them over time and we also work with their community teams in assisting those patients as well. And we have an open-door policy basically in that if patients feel that perhaps it's been ruled out for them, a cutaneous lymphoma, but they continue to have trouble, they'll see their teams in the community and can come back to see us if they need to with a referral. We do a lot of outreach with patients with this condition. So we have people who get referred in from the community when what they're doing out in the community is perhaps not helping them anymore, or their teams in the community think something's not right and they need more assistance from us. It can be quite a complex condition, but we're all there for the patient. And as we say to patients, we're with you from the start of your diagnosis to the end of your disease pathway. We're always with the patient, even if the patient is not physically coming into the hospital we're there as a resource for the patients and the teams that look after them to make it better for people, because it can be complex for people, particularly when they're needing to utilise topical creams and moisturisers all the time. But some people might need to do things like wet dressings and things like that to help their skin, to help ease skin pain and itch, or they might be having ultraviolet light with their dermatologist, or they might be needing radiotherapy or they might have wounds that need a lot of management and care. And we always say, please feel free to ring us. We do a lot of work with GPs and GP nurses and community people, as well as nurses in the community to try and help these patients stay out in the community as best they can.
0: So for a patient who lives in rural and remote parts of Australia, they don't necessarily need to travel into a city hospital for treatment for cutaneous lymphoma. There's a lot that can be done locally
4: and i always say to patients and people looking after patients the best thing you've got is yourself because sometimes when people are in a lot of discomfort with their skin or they're itching or they've got wounds i say to people right what have you got in your house that you can utilize now have you got dressings or have you got creams and moisturizer that you can utilize if so what have you got and we'll work through that and link in with their community teams, be it a GP or a dermatologist or both in the community. And if everyone's doing as whatever they can and are maximising on that and then people are still struggling, then that's kind of the trigger that perhaps sometimes a patient may need to come down to the city. And really, sometimes people may need to be admitted to hospital if their symptoms are really difficult to manage out in the community and by that, I mean they're putting on moisturisers, steroids on their skin as often as they can if they need it, or they're getting a lot of skin care and wound care, and everyone's doing whatever they can. And if above all that, the patient and the person is still struggling, then that's our trigger that the person may actually need to come into the city to have care with us in a hospital.
0: So regardless if you're receiving care from home or in a hospital, it's important that it's done in conjunction with the advice of a clinician and make sure you're linked in with a cutaneous lymphoma team if you have one locally.
4: So in states around Australia, there are teams who specialise in the care of patients with cutaneous lymphoma and that's really important to be linked in with them, even if it's once a year. So that's probably the first thing. The second thing would be about having a management strategy, both together with the patient, their family, their community GP and their dermatologist, because really the community dermatologists are often people's first go-to as well as the GP's. And it's about maximising on that and knowing what to do when things are getting worse By that, we mean taking note of the creams you might be putting on your skin, taking note of things that make it better or worse, working out when to notify someone if your skin's changing and it's different from what your normal is because a lot of this condition is about helping people recognize what their new normal is Mm. and when to seek out help. And sometimes it's hard for people to seek out help when they begin to accept an abnormal as their normal. So by that, I mean the skin is not what it used to be for that person. So they begin to know that, okay, well, this is normal for me, but it's about knowing when you might actually need help. Like do you have lumps and bumps on your skin that are growing really quickly and you've never had before? And those things are things that are really important to identify to your carers, your loved ones, your GP, your dermatologists and us in the hospitals to say, look, I've noticed these changes. I'm a little bit concerned. Can I seek out an earlier appointment? That's really important. Also, taking photos is really valuable for people. I say to people, it's a bit like having a little diary, but it's on your phone. And if you have the capacity to take a photo in an area that is accessible and easy to view, then that's really helpful for you. And most Mm. people take their mobile phone or have a carer take a mobile phone with them to any appointment they might be at. And so they can actually show and say, look, this is what's been happening. And that's actually really helpful for people. And really that's with the patient, regardless of whatever hospital the person's at or whatever clinic the person's at. So that can be really helpful and really valuable. And I would say to people with a diagnosis of cutaneous T-cell lymphoma, it's really important where possible to have a community dermatologist, hematologist, plus or minus a radiation oncologist if you've ever needed it, or at least access to a team where they can link you in with those people as required. Because it's about recognising that for most people with cutaneous lymphoma, they live with this out in the community day in, day out some people need more help from us in the hospitals in that they might need to be admitted for antibiotics and wet dressings and skin care and pain management and itch management because of their symptoms or they might need assistance in relation to what their disease is doing and some some special treatments that you can actually perhaps only get in a hospital or in a setting where you might need to go to a day therapy centre to access perhaps some infusions or some special treatments like things like photophoresis or things like that and those patients those are things that you can actually only get in the community in the hospital so yeah. it's, it's about patients knowing who their teams are and how to get on them and when to get on them.
0: And so in speaking with all these different carers and treating teams, no doubt you're going to encounter different language and terms to try and describe your diagnosis of cutaneous lymphoma. So it's important you know what they mean. You might hear terms like CTCL or CBCL interchangeably, which mean cutaneous T-cell lymphoma and cutaneous B-cell lymphoma.
4: Sometimes symptoms have long names for them. So things like pruritus means itch, if people ever hear those words, which is actually really hard, but we know what that means. And if a patient said to us, I was itching, we know exactly what that means. And I suppose it's about patients always knowing that the symptoms are what they are for the patient in the language that you know. And that's really what's so important for everyone to identify Sometimes there's words like ECP used, extracorporeal photophoresis. If someone has a diagnosis of perhaps caesareous syndrome, sometimes called SS, or mycosis fungordis, they might have a treatment like photophoresis or ECP. Sometimes some of these acronyms are used to describe some of the treatments that patients are having. And I think it's always good if people hear acronyms spoken of or short words just ask your team what they actually mean because there's sometimes new treatments that come out and they might have an acronym because the words are actually really long to say. So I always say to people, feel free to ask as many questions as you have. Same thing goes with wound care. There can be sometimes lots of wound care products that have really long names And I always say to people, even if you can take a photo, use the language that you know and tell us what you're doing, what you're using, that will help us help you. And that's always massively beneficial for people.
0: For a lot of people with a diagnosis of cutaneous lymphoma, there can be emotional challenges attached to these conditions and they can weigh quite heavily on people because of how it looks.
4: And some people might say, I actually feel fine. It's just when I take my clothes off that I can see everything and no one else can see that. And that can actually be really hard for people to manage that and their families to manage that as well. Because sometimes people might say, oh, I'm all right. My skin just looks bad. But as long as everything's on and my wound products are on or my dressings are on and my clothes are on, no one else can see, which makes me feel good. But also it can be hard because it can sometimes be hard for people to appreciate what patients are going through. So it's always really important to check in with people and really identify the role this disease is having on the patient's life. And actually, I always say to people, it's sometimes really hard to not let the disease own you because you are actually a person with a condition. You aren't the condition. But sometimes that's really hard when people are sick to suddenly feel like their life is taken up with management for their disease, symptom management, medication, regimes to keep their life on track and their disease on track. And they haven't even had two minutes to think about something that's not their disease. And that can be really hard. And that's why I always say to people, it's so important to check in with people and for us as clinicians to check in with people too, and really link you in with your GP, your psychologist, psychiatrist, where possible, because this is about helping people learn how to work through living with a chronic condition.
0: So there are various ways that a diagnosis could impact someone from a mental health perspective, but there are also financial impacts that a patient can feel as well.
4: Some of these topical, so by that topical we mean skin preparations or creams, can actually be quite expensive for people when they're going through them. Even normal moisturisers off the shelf, even when they're on special at your local supermarket, can actually cost quite a lot of money when you're using them all the time. And the same goes for wound care products. So there's various resources out there that people can utilise to buy online dressing products through local companies in Australia who try to reduce the cost of dressings. Some people can get them in their pharmacy. I always say to people, if you're linked in with a GP, dermatologist, or hospital team, make sure you flag it with your team if you're struggling financially, either in relation to the cost of what you're using on your skin or your wound care or your medicines because we'll always try to do what we can to help because we actually want people to do as best they can. And if we can make it better by looking at something to help someone financially or put them in touch with a social worker or other resources to assist, then that's really helpful.
0: And that's it for another episode of the Spot On Podcast. Make sure you share this episode with a friend or family member if you think they'll get some value. MSCAN acknowledges the traditional owners and ongoing custodians of the land on which this podcast was recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Remember that all the content discussed in these episodes is for information purposes. Please make sure you speak to a medical professional for advice relating to your own specific situation. This podcast is brought to you by the Melanoma and Skin Cancer Advocacy Network, MSCAN, who are providing a new, innovative approach to tackle Australia's national cancer. For more information, visit mscan.org.au.